Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Guess who's back, Aaron? The Sacramento Kings. <laughs> They're back. They are, uh, the Kings are back. I'm. I only bring that up because just you know I'm excited. I thought five games in that our season was doomed and done for. I'd written us off like most of America. Mm-hmm. And while we did lose a close game to you, your squad over the weekend, very we, close. We yeah. did. Uh, we did do something that you could cheer for, which was beat your rival, Boston Celtics, who had a ten-game winning streak. Yeah, ten. They started off zero and two, and then they went on a ten-game run, a tear. Well, I'm just. Yeah. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to the until, squad. Well, until they hit the buzzsaw that is the Sacramento Kings. That's right. That's right. We are. I mean, we took the Lakers are the best, undeniably the best team in the league right now. Oh, head and shoulders. And we should have won that game without our two of our best players, uh, our first and third best player. But, like, that was within, I mean, that, uh, it's, yeah. We we really, really, down the stretch, just lost it for ourselves. But, like, it was within reach all the way up to the end. We should have won the game, but. But, I wouldn't uh, go that far, but it was within reach. So oh, I'll, give you that. Oh. I'll grant you that. I, would I mean, say you have plenty that, of help within the reach, but we had it, and then you guys kind of snatched it out <laughs> right there at the end with a good uh, no call um, from the officiating crew. Which you know, at least you can plan on them always being in your corner, <laughs> which is a great luxury. They're, they're always gonna have a good night when it's the Kings versus oh, Lakers. Yeah. Oh, they love it. They, they love it. They love it. That's prime time for them. Yeah, it's a show for them. They love it. Um. Well, we're not here to talk about NBA. We're here to talk about a World War II film uh, that's uh, stoking a bit of controversy. A little bit. Uh, just a little not bit. Really, I can't, actually. I can't really figure no why. Contro- there's no controversy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like people were so scared of this film being controversial that they, like, they're just, there was so, before we even saw a frame of it, like, it was just like, uh, pounded into the messaging of what this new Taika film that, you know, is going to be about this uh, boy who was raised and, you know, attending the Hitler youth, whatever thing during World War Two. And Taika Waititi was going to play Adolf Hitler as his imaginary friend. Like, it's just not the elevator pitch that studios are jumping on right now. Um, and so I mean, the fact- th- like, just even you saying that is like, it's kind of hard to believe that he actually got this made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even I though mean, every, I'm, I can't imagine how many people passed on it. You know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. It- it's like also who, um, how many directors out there are getting the green light for this? Like it's it's a small only someone small. with the heat, the amount of heat that Taika has right now, right? right like, exactly. But even yeah. then, the budget wasn't you know I don't think it was no. huge. Um, and it was interesting because in I'm, the middle of making it for Fox Searchlight, Fox was purchased by Disney, yeah. and like that had to have been a terrifying moment because there's you know Disney has not like there's uh, there's films that they. A co- you know that came as part of that acquisition that hadn't been released yet and will never be released. They just decided not to release some of them because they felt like they weren't good enough. And how easy would that have been for Bob Iger and the Mouse House to just be like, uh, "What is this? Oh, a film about a kid and Hitler Youth? Yeah, okay." Mm. Well, I think there was an error of uh, of Disney where they would have gladly made a movie about Hitler. Well, that's, I was gonna say, uh, but he, th- those Bob days I- are long gone. Bob Iger had two. There's two ways he could have responded to this, like. There's no way we're releasing that, or let's release it because we we really need a, a, a ride theme to replace Splash Mountain. And this, let's get back to our this roots. Just might be it. <laughs> um, 
so uh, Rhett is coming in. He's he's not going to be able to watch all this live, but he wants to pipe in with his his JoJo review. I'll, I'll read that later on once we've given ours. Absolutely. But, uh, overall, Rhett, I will say we liked the movie, but we're going to get into specifics here. Um, just up front, though, we're going to talk JoJo Rabbit. And then right after that, we're going to talk about the year that the uh, film studio A24 is having, uh, the films that they've released this year, which they've really had a stellar year. And we're going to just run through our, our 10 favorite A24 films, which, believe it or not, was hard to actually come up with because of how many good films. Like, their 20-something films could have easily made this list for me. Not a lot of studios I could say that about um, in terms of, like, the cream of the crop being, you know, uh, such a dense list of incredible work. And so I'm really excited to go through that with you. Um, but first, let's go to 1940s Germany. To I mean, you're allowed them. to go there. <laughs> I don't think they'd have me. <laughs> oh, see, my family—they were Swiss German, so we were like, oh, you know, our hand, we are out of this. We are. <laughs> we want no part of this. We didn't select a side. Right. Um, well, what you're saying is one of your grandfathers could have been little JoJo. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, I hope not. Um, but, uh, yes, Jojo Rabbit, a film that has been uh, slowly but surely released into more and more theaters. I think it's over 800 now. People are finally starting to see it. I saw it uh, several weeks back. I've actually seen it twice now. Uh, been eager to talk about it. A lot of people have been inquiring on our Twitter as well as in personal text messages. When are we going to talk about this movie? And today's that day. So let's just dive right into it. Um, this is a tricky film to pull off for someone of Taika Waititi's sensibilities. Right out of the gate, I want to know, did this film work for you as a whole? Yeah, so coming into it, I was pretty skeptical. Um, the Basically, the only director currently working in Hollywood that I would consider seeing this this uh, movie, uh, uh, this premise specifically, made is uh, Taika Waititi. It, it's any other director. I'm just not even going to watch it because okay. it's not really sound interesting. Version of this. Okay. No, no, because uh, yeah, many, many, <laughs> there's many issues with that. Um, but Taika is just, he's a unique talent and I appreciate his vision and his voice. And I know that he's going to make the movie that he wants to see. And he's going to tell a story that interests him the most. And, uh, and he's hilarious. So I just have faith in the guy. Um, so I'm going anywhere that he's taken me. And uh, so, yeah, Go right off the bat, I was skeptical. Um, but, you know, the very first opening sequence, very funny. Very, f- Maybe the biggest laugh in the movie is in the first 10 minutes. And it's so let's just, hilarious. Let's jump into that. So that, that, that the opening of this film was something because I, I I was excited for this film because it's Taika. Right? But, of course, endlessly curious how you tackle. You know, like there's it, Hollywood certainly has a, a history of taking these evil, you know, usually evil men and oppressive governments regimes and, you know, making them comedic, making comedies. Sure. Obviously, Mel Brooks, famous for doing this. And that's a great way of deflating these terrible uh, figures in history is by poking fun. It's just one of the best methods to do it, um, you know, which a lot of people argue is better than not mentioning them at all, but allowing that mystery to grow because they're so evil and so powerful we can't even mention them. You know, the other approach here is to, no, let's not only mention them, but let's put them in a movie and make them look silly, right? But, as you mentioned kind of at the top of this pod, 2019 is a tricky year in terms of what people are willing to stomach in, in terms of content. And so, again, amazing that he got this film, this movie made, but I was really, really excited to see how he would unfold that vision, especially given that he is known for this colorful, fun, 
a whimsical palette. Um, and we get that at the beginning. In fact, we get the um, the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand in German, <laughs> played two shots of screaming crowds, adoring crowds that we're used to seeing accompanied with you know, footage of the Beatles themselves, except it's Nazi Germany. And it's Hitler. That, that it's opening montage is Incredible. It's one of the best openings oh I've gosh. seen. It sets many, the many stage years. in a way that was like, it was just master. It was perfect. It was really, really great. Um, and then it goes right into uh, our, the, the main character, Jojo, who's getting ready to go to this camp, this like weekend camp for the Hitler youth. And he's talking to himself in the mirror, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. And then little by little, it's, you hear a voice and it's right behind him, pops out his imaginary friend, who is Adolf Hitler. And that's played by Taika Waititi, someone who happens to be half Maori and half Jewish. And so, of course, there's comedy in that. You know, he's the makeup of someone, of course, that that uh, is Hitler's worst nightmare, really. And uh, but in this film, it's he's obviously a caricature because he's an imaginary friend of uh, in the mind of this of Jojo. And they have a dialogue that I think, you know, is really meant to set the stage for um, the way they were going to approach Nazism in this film. Uh, kind of what to expect and, there, and, and notably when he asks Jodo to heil him and they go they go back and forth on like whether or not it was a good enough heil and it's it's a it's pretty funny I mean the two theaters I saw it in I, it was just funny because people didn't know how to react at first because they were snickering like this is funny but they're I'm laughing at heil Hitler mm-hmm. it, there's a just inherently uncomfortable and then by the third or fourth time, it's almost like Tyke is trying to warm up the crowd a bit. Like, get used yeah. to this. It's okay to laugh at this because we're laughing at how silly this terrible thing is, right? And uh, and then it worked on my audience. Like, it totally worked. It loosened people up in a way that was like, oh, this is funny. This is like the opening act, kind of a crowd warm up, you know? Like, when, when I went to go see a live taping of Letterman in New York with Lindsay, they, you know, they had just this, so many people come out and try to get us laughing before he came. You know what I mean? Like, the crowd is, is ready. And it's, it really was kind of that type of thing. And so what else about the beginning did you like? Uh, well, I just thought um, it, it really establishes that this kid isn't just, you know, a German kid growing up in the, in the era. He's a fanatic. He, he's a fanatic. He's literally a fanatic of the party. And that's one of the reasons that um, his, his uh, imaginary friend is Hitler, because he looks up to him. He's, his room is plastered with posters of his face. Um, he's just consu- like absolutely consumed by um, not only meeting him but living up to this this uh, dream, mm-hmm. this um, basically honoring him. That's what he wants to do. So he looks up to this guy like a living god, and um, it's just it, it, I think it sets the tone perfectly because like right off the bat you understand that he's a fanatic and he's completely devoted to the ideology, and he's also like this innocent little kid. He's a child. Um, he really doesn't know any better. Um, so yeah, it, it makes for an in- interesting um, juxtaposition uh, between the two. Um, but yeah, I thought that it's just the opening sequence, especially, is very disarming because it's so funny. And I think that's those are the best satires. You take things that shouldn't be funny, and somehow you find the dark humor in them. And I think uh, like this this obviously for me it draws instant comparison to Hogan's Heroes, mm. which is a show. Uh, which was a comedy show yeah, set sure in, a, in a prison camp, um, a Nazi prison camp. Then the, the show came out in the 1960s, which was like 20 years, just barely a couple decades after World War II. So the end of World War II. Um, so I mean, right away, they, 
America at least was ready to laugh. Um, and the show's very funny. And like that really, I drew the instant comparison to that because we're taking these evil people and just laughing at them because they're the they're the punchline. So I thought the opening was incredible. I thought the, the very first act for me especially worked extremely well. And it was so much funnier than I expected. Uh, I really appreciated it. So I think it's, and it's led by some great performances. Like really that's what informs all of this. The performances are the best part of this film. I just, yeah. it's, I cannot overstate that enough. Now, this film started for me in such a satisfactory way that it like, it did, it weirdly set a bar that was almost too high because it was so funny and so perfect, perfect, even from the production design and to the costume design, which I think is just absolute, honestly Oscar worthy. I think the costume design was incredible. Um, and I'm not talking about Sam Rockwell's character's costume design. I'm talking about the actual person that worked on the film. Um, and we can talk, we're going to talk about Sam's performance, but, um, I mean, I loved the cast, obviously, going in. I, I wasn't familiar with the, the uh, actor playing the main boy. I think this is his first real work, if I understand correctly. Um, but everyone else in it, you know, are people that I've, I've really enjoyed. Uh, but I didn't realize that we were going to get what I think might be Scarlett Johansson's best work. Um, I think she's stellar in this movie. She's not in it enough, if I were to make a criticism. I think it felt like she was she was absent from the film for a couple of stretches that may have been a bit too long, um, but it was in favor of doing more with uh, the character of Jojo in and the uh, the girl that is being um, housed there uh, in secret. Uh, the, this uh, yeah. played by Thomas and Mackenzie. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where this plot goes. We're not going to go into. To, like spoiler territory but we will talk about certain scenes just fyi um if you're listening to this and you want to go in totally unspoiled uh maybe don't listen but we won't be going into any major things i think it's yeah, no, no. safe for the most part but any yeah. anything that's in the trailer that you can get like we we will be talking about kind of those plot points and that yeah, i think it's fact- it's it's important to point out that this is not the mom's story and i do wish that you know we got a little bit more of her because uh, Scarlett Johansson was was great in her in her part but it's not her story it's it's jojo's it's, it's, and even it's though not- she is you know his mother um it's she's kind of incidental in his world which is yeah, interesting it is interesting um and you know he's longing for um his father who is at this point missing and again i won't go into too many details but what scarlett johansson's uh character is doing throughout the day is it takes a while for you to realize what's happening like they give you little bits of information more and more um i, I know it's not her movie um but I, yeah, I still feel weirdly shortchanged on that character. Maybe I just loved the character so much that I, I feel like I wanted more of it. But I oh, you could that, have, yeah, you could have easily made this movie about her if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, well, there's this dinner table. There's this dinner table scene that they have where they have this com- You know, you start to realize uh, not immediately, but little by little, that the politics of between Scarlett Johansson and her fanatic son are different. That he wasn't raised in that house to be that way. It was culture that was that way. You know, it was just the in the government and the mm-hmm. propaganda, and and then when you realize like, oh, he is he's ag- against his parent in terms of his uh, parents' ideology. Uh, they talk about the dinner well, table we being Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know about his dad because he's not around, but he's definitely against his mother's. Well, yeah, his yeah. mother's uh, beliefs, and because she gets so frustrated with him in that yes. in that scene, so. But yeah, but there's just a, I won't go into the details of the moment, but I, I thought there was a particular moment where um, tensions are high and she um, she kind of pulls a stunt to try to communicate with him that 
I thought it was actually a really touching scene, and it was pretty effective. Um, it wasn't too overly sentimental, but it was it was it, it went from like really serious to kind of funny to really sweet, and it it was just the scene that really brought together the love of the family from you know mother to son, son to mother, and and also introduced the family dynamic a little bit more in terms of what's going on in the house. And it was just such a excellently like just acted perfectly, directed perfectly, um, and you know it wasn't a big scene, but a hugely important one. Right, and that's I think that's the strength of, uh, or that's one of Taika's real strengths is we now have a history of him working with child actors. Yes, we do, and him approaching the family dynamic in a completely unique way that feels so authentic, um, even if we haven't experienced those particular setups or arrangements, um, it, it feels authentic, and I think that's his. That's a credit to his insights and his instincts as a director, as a storyteller. So. I mean, that's what he brings to this particular story, and, it, and it's perfect for it. So let's run through the performances so I don't go through too many plot points. Um, speaking of JoJo and child actors, you know, yes, Taika clearly has a great track record here. Hunt for the Wilder People, Ricky Baker, um, uh, played by Julian Dennison. Uh, I, we've only seen him in, like, the Deadpool sequel and nothing else. I hope he gets more work. We need more work from him. Yeah. He, he may have aged out of it, but... Um, but the, the actor here, uh, Roman Griffin Davis, um, initially I wrote down Roman Griffith III. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Um, <laughs> different RG3. <laughs> different RG3. But yeah, Roman this Griffin This is RGD. <laughs> but like, now we're talking a lot about Taika. This is his vision. This is, you know, his script, his direction, you know, pl- literally playing Hitler. But honestly, this movie doesn't work without this kid. This actor playing this part is like, I could not imagine someone better. Because he plays this naive, like you want, he's trying to be serious about his devotion to, you know, uh, the Fuhrer and uh, the Hitler Youth and all that. You know, he, he wants to pretend to be this thing, so he has this kind of self-seriousness. But there's this gentle, sweet, like innocence uh, to him that's really—it's an acting performance. That's not just a, a child with a quirky personality that's good in front of a camera, because we can see that and that works. That gets us by with a lot of movies. But this kid is giving a performance, and it's really stunning. It's really, really something. Um, and he's consistent throughout in that performance, and it was really remarkable. I, I just think that he's the best actor in this thing. And yeah, I mean, he shines right, and so and I think we're a little. To. Yeah, of course. He, if he because if he isn't an A plus, if he is not giving a plus performance, the movie is not as good. Obviously, it goes without saying. But it's so important because he carries the weight of the story of everything. It's all on his shoulders, and um, I know we can get a little jaded with how good young actors are at this point i mean it's like you said it's it's almost a dime a dozen uh, uh, to see these great young performances but if you have a 10 year old boy or girl in your life and you realize just how just just the thought of that kid carrying a movie is just like the kids that are in my life i couldn't imagine them performing oh, i can't trust them to yeah. carry the orange juice from the car to the kitchen you know <laughs> exactly. a movie. and then and then you see what roman griffin davis is doing in this movie and it is it's mind-blowing how it good is mind-blowing. he is yeah because not only is he giving a great performance but he has amazing comedic timing his oh. expressions are they light up the screen and he, he's just so fantastic in this movie it's it's amazing it's really on un- it's truly unreal like it's yeah it's 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 something special um and i think that's amplified more when we're introduced to this character the part of the plot that where things his world kind of gets turned upside down and this is in the trailer so i'm okay saying it but he discovers that his mom is harboring um uh, a young jewish girl 
and hiding her in the walls in her in his uh, deceased sister's room. Um, did it mention how she passed away? By the way, it was it seemed unclear to me. I don't. It was unclear to me as well. Maybe I don't, a sickness of some kind. But anyway, the, the, his sister had recently passed away. Uh, so kind of an empty room, but still all of her stuff in it. But behind one of the kind of above the baseboard on the wall, there's, you know, this little slit that they had opened it up and, you know, she's living in there. But she didn't want Ro- uh, her, you know, Jojo, Scarlett Johansson's character, didn't want Rosie, didn't want Jojo finding out because, you know, he was a fanatic. Like you said, he would blow the whistle. Um, but he discovers her by happenstance. And so you, the, the film then becomes about this relationship where he thinks all of these things about. Uh, Jews, of course, right. because he's been indoctrinated and right. with this propaganda, and so there's this kind of this story goes between you know this kind of back and forth between these two characters, which is both comedic and heartwarming and tragic and touching, as you see him start to um, grow a fondness for her, but also just understanding that she's a human being, and like right. the lesson he learns, and there's you know he, he refers to himself as being a Nazi and she says in you know in an incredible moment like you're not a Nazi you're just a boy who likes to wear nice uniforms and wants to be part of a club like you're not a Nazi you know and that like angers him because he wants to be part of it but it also angers him because he knows he's not capable of be, you know believing and in, in acting on the atrocities of you know of the ideology associated with Nazis and so their relationship is when it really starts to soar. Thomas and Mackenzie who uh, we saw it. La- I was introduced to in the f- last year in Leave No Trace um, with Ben Foster, which in which she was in just excellent in. And so seeing her here, she continues to be great. And the per- them together in all their scenes, I just thought was wonderful stuff. Uh, yeah, they have an, um, a rapport, or a chemistry, whatever you want to call it, a connection that it's just it's magic. I mean, they're so good together. Um, it feels like these are real friends or, you know, um, I don't know, you know, they, because they, they, of course this kid's going to want to want a friend. Like he, that's why he's dreaming of Hitler. He's lonely. Yes. So when he has the chance to make a real friend, it's, it's obvious that they become friends and that's obviously what's going to happen. So it's not really a spoiler. It's, it's just, spoiler. it's, it's just a relationship they develop. And, um, it's, it's really fascinating to see how it blossoms and, and what it turns into. Um, but there you go. To bring that his other his one yes. other friend in the movie, yes, Yorkie. Your is that his? I couldn't understand what what his yeah. name was. Yorkie, yeah, which okay. is great. I, also, I'm grateful they let people just speak in British accents. Uh, oh yeah, that's always Thick. like you know, like in the case of Yorkie, that kid needs to be speaking in a British. Do not make that kid speak in a German accent. Even though Scarlett Johansson does and Sam Rockwell, does, that's fine. And we yeah. can debate how good those accents are, <laughs> but. Um, uh, you know, I, yeah, we don't need to pretend to, uh, you know, that they ha- have to all be sounding that way because this kid is honestly dynamite. He is so funny. There's not a lot of them, but the moments that uh, they have together are really great. Um, just talk about comedic timing as well. Um, I hope that he gets work as he gets older, but I, I'm worried that his thing might be just about, you know, the age he's at and the way he looks right now. Is, is what makes him marketable. Well, I mean, where there's a long history in Hollywood of kids that age out or they turn into a, uh, they turn into an adult version of what they look like as uh, 11-year-old. Mm. It's it's pretty off-putting. Thinking of Haley Joel Osment. Oh, or Ham from Sandlot. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. That's, <laughs> that might be example exhibit number A right there, or letter A. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's terrific here. So if this is his peak, I'm just glad we're getting it. 
Uh, yeah, his has has this. Uh, his name is Archie Yates. Has he been in anything before? Do we know? Um, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I do remember Taika talking about discovering him in the audition process. Um, yeah. And how he's just like perfect. I don't. I'm guessing he didn't audition for that role. Um, he very well could have auditioned for JoJo, and they were like, hey, he's not right for JoJo, um, especially his hair color. But <laughs> like we, you know, we could use him as any of the kids in the you know the Hitler Youth Camp. But he's just. He's, yeah, he's really, really, really good. Um, quickly, on the other actors, though, Sam Rockwell. How do you feel about both his, his performance, but maybe even more importantly, his character in this story, which is really um, It is pretty interesting. Uh, I, I'm a huge Sam Rockwell fan. Yeah. I think he's he's amongst the, the best actors in the world. Absolutely. Um, and when he's inspired with the part, he's just, he's as good as anybody. Um, and I think he, you know, he gives a solid performance. He he tries his best, um, but I, I almost feel like this might have been a miscast. I don't know what it is. There's just something that never really sunk in totally for me. He gives he gives a hell of an is, is effort. It, is it the casting or is it the role? It's well, I mean, I'd love to see him in another role. So I, I would say it's this particular role just maybe wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tries. He gives it his all. He does, give and. It his um, all. He goes 110, 110% after effort, and I think that that extra effort was maybe too much for the role. Um, but you know, honestly, if this is what Taika wanted out of the out of the role, then I, I guess I understand it, and maybe it's his fault. I should really be blaming him, um, yeah. because for me, it's it's one of the rare misfires in the movie. Um, it's it's not terrible, but it's no. just not it's not great. Yeah, it's interesting what his character is meant to represent. Yeah. And maybe it's I'm reading too much and yeah, maybe I'm interpreting it in a in my own way. But um what the fascinating thing about this movie is that you're seeing it from, you know, these German people's perspectives and you have certain people that are um at least secretly um against what you know, Hitler is doing. Uh you have the obviously the main character we've established as a fanatic, and then there's some people in between. You know, 'cause you're gonna have people there that are that are whether they agree with it or not, they have to live day to day, and and how they participate in what's going on in the war uh, will have you know will be varying degrees of uh, committed to the cause. And right. I think what he represents in terms of where he's at at that commitment is interesting. I think it could be un- unfortunately it could be read as there's good people on both sides type of thing. You know, like um, I think that we don't need to overly complicate what Taika was trying to do there. But I I do think he's trying to paint like shades of gray in terms of like you know it was possible to be part of this in a way that was not, you know, um, I don't want to say that was forgiving, but yeah, it's hard to articulate it without really talking about it, but he was an officer, obviously in, in, you know, uh, he was a Nazi officer, but he didn't necessarily, he was that by like obligation and by survival than actually, um, yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah, there's. We discover that there's, um, like he, while he is a decorated officer, maybe he isn't as much of a fa- fanatic, as I think that's established pretty early on. Like maybe he's well, he, that he's not. To- yeah, he makes comments. That's clear that he's. Located. He sure does. Yeah. He, he sure does. Um, but I think it's interesting because there's another movie coming out this year, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, oh, yeah. which also deals with uh, Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. um, and how uh, someone actually that was actually resistant to the regime um, suffered, which is really interesting. And that's like a dramatic, uh, dramatic it's, it's story. Claus so. von Stauffenberg. I don't think it is like he, he went a different Played route by Tom Cruise. 
Yeah. <laughs> you went to Valkyrie. To him, actually, Stauffenberg in the film. Yeah. For yeah, a yeah. funny bit. Um, that's interesting. When is that released, by the way, the Malick film? Uh, it comes out limited on uh, December 13th. I feel like the last 10 Malick films have been limited. And only limited. Yeah. I think this one's going to go big, though. I think okay. it has... Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's Just the trailer is incredibly gorgeous, obviously. It's a Malick yeah. film. Um, but the story is, is seems really interesting. So, I just think it's funny we're having a lot of uh, Nazi stuff this year. But I guess uh, that's kind of every year. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, there's no. Sh- I mean, it's a consistent uh, genre, really. Um, mm-hmm. Now, speaking of Nazis, I think the, the the one of my favorite pieces of casting in this whole thing is Stephen Merchant, who's really in this for a single sequence, the scene um, as a Gestapo or as an SS, you know, officer who. Um, I was watching a behind the things uh, scene breakdown with Taika, and it was interesting because uh, the Vanity he, Fair one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a great video. It's so, it's so good. good. And they break yeah. down this specific scene that Stephen Merchant's in, and they. I didn't really thought about it, but they were talking about how the these Gestapo officers, uh, previous to the war, were just like bureaucrats. These were like bankers and finance people and lawyers, and you know, like these weren't soldiers. These weren't marketing like, people for but, tech yes. companies. When it came with to the with airbuds wearing a king's hat and a king's jersey, <laughs> uh, yeah, of all yes, from all stripes. Um, <laughs> but just thinking about those people in that scene from that frame of reference, like that lens, was like, oh my gosh, like of course that makes sense. They, they, they weren't all military people that moved into like or intelligence officers or anything. It, you know, uh, everyone had a role somewhere, and so that's it. Which makes the brutality of the people making those decisions and doing the rate, you know, like searching homes and trying to find if anyone's harboring um, you know you know any Jew- Jewish family members that they're trying to account for or whatnot um, but but the scene with him is particularly tense he is excellent in amping up the intensity um, and Stephen Merchant it's worth mentioning director of fighting for my family the WWE movie from earlier this year which was actually pretty good um, he's a great director a great actor and I love that Ty can get him for a single scene because he's funny um, and also terrifying he just He's just really, really good in this, and so just a little bit of him. But I thought he was excellent. So anyway, yeah, he. Uh, you can say it's a little bit of a, a cameo or stunt casting, but I think he was perfect. So his yeah. his part is um, it's it's vital, it's integral, and he nails it. So uh, another great performance in a in a sea of great performances. So the last thing I really want to hit on is the biggest part of this discussion with JoJo. A lot this film, the success of this film, and whether you like it or not, hinges on. <sighs> whether Taika pulls off a tonal shift in the film. It's worth mentioning, critics have been relatively mixed on it, certainly skewed more positive. It is a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. For Taika, that's lower than would have been expected. Now, the, the, the user score is 96, so there's quite a discrepancy there. Um, but it, this film is not one that worked for all of the critics um, for various reasons. But certainly uh, a lot of the theme is talking about whether or not he pulls off the balancing of tones. And what I, what I mean by that is if you're familiar with his work and Hunt for the Builder People or even uh, There Will Be Shadows or there, yeah, um, what we do in what the we, shadows. What we do in the shadows, what we do yeah. In the shadows. Um, that he's lighthearted, fun. I mean, Ragnarok, right? It's just bright colors and it's almost kind of like cotton candy, uh, but it's also hilarious and quippy and improv And doing that with... Nazi Germany is you can't really do that and only that at some point you've there's almost an obligation um, to uh, 
explore the reality of that oppression, right? It's that we need to show the ugliness that, you know, that they were capable of so that there's some sort of message here. I guess it could be debated whether or not you have to do that, but I think certainly he felt like the reality of the history here, uh, it just can't be like a tonally a normal Taika thing. And so it takes a turn in the third act um, and certainly gets more serious. Um, and it's it's a bit of a shock. And throughout the, you know, the from then on and throughout the remainder into the conclusion of the film, you know, there's still humor that's brought in as you're as the, the reality of the horrors of Nazi Germany are still being wrestled with. Um, it uh, it was just a really ambitious way to do this and an ambitious decision to make. And it I will tell you the first time I saw it, I it didn't totally work for me. I still really liked the movie. I, it was very funny to me. I think that last act, or at least partway through that last act, I str- it, it wasn't fully holding together for me. It was like a rough landing. You know, he landed the plane. The, the, flight, for the flight, for the most part, was great, but the, it just a little, a little bumpy landing. Um, my second time seeing it was quite a bit better, but ultimately I still land on the tonal shift not 100% working for me. At best, maybe 75% worked for me. It's j- I just feel like he tried to get the film back again with some more humor he was sprinkling in, and it wasn't working for me. Um, but because everything else was so good, and because he was attempting to do this, which I think is important, um, it's certainly easier to forgive. And again, it's still an enjoyable film. It's just that you know it could have been better, I think. Um, it's hard to know exactly how. But uh, what he tried to do is just had such a high degree of difficulty that um, it doesn't surprise me that he wasn't able to pull it off 100. percent What do you? What did you think of that part? Do you? Agree yeah, I'm right there. Disagree? I'm right there with you because I think it's an impossible balancing act. Uh, it might to, be to to accomplish what he was going for is I think it's impossible. Um, I think it's important to if we roll back just real quick. One of the um, the way the movie starts out is these kids are going to camp, mm. not just mm-hmm. to be Boy Scouts or Hitler's Boy Scouts. It's because the German army is losing and they need troops. I mean, that's literally why the kids are there to basically be- become replacement troops to hold down the fort uh, because it's the final days of uh, of the war. Um, and so that's basically the foreshadowing for the, the towards the end of the movie and so i think it's not that hard to see where they're going with this but yeah, it is um it sets for an interesting contrast in the way the movie starts versus the way the movie ends and it's um for me it's it's definitely the the, the third act is definitely the weak point of the movie yes. um but again i'm right there with you because i don't think that it ruins the movie i just think that it's right. um it kind of it's kind of a buzzkill, and yes. you know, in a story like this, it, yeah, it, I'm maybe okay with it need being a buzzkill. Buzz so, yeah. <laughs> it's not that. It's I didn't need this to be all popcorn and happiness. It's just that it got it was a little bumpy in the execution. I think. And yeah, there's um, there's definitely some holes, and there's definitely some um, jagged edges, and some stuff that uh, could have been sanded out. Uh, but for for me, it's just. I mean, I, I went there to experience a story, and I don't think that I was given the best possible ending to that story. Not because I wanted a particular ending, but because I wanted a satisfying one. And I don't know that the ending that we got was necessarily true to what um, to what the story deserves, like the cap yes. that it deserves. And maybe it doesn't even need a cap, but right. what we got was... Um, 
not up not up to the level of what we were introduced or the way that it yes. started so yeah if making films is such an incredibly difficult thing to do because of the number of things that can and will go wrong um and maybe there's not a version of this that maybe there isn't a, a successful version of finishing the, those first two acts off with something that was equally on par maybe you know this is the best version of this we could get I, obviously it's art so it's you know you can't really say anything definitively uh, but it's an interesting question um, what do you give it uh, for out of a hundred score like what's what's bottom oh line? So, yeah so I mean if we're doing the Rotten Tomatoes thing yeah. I'd probably give it about an 85 okay yeah I'm at I can 88. I can probably be talked into like 88 yeah that's where I'm at about an but, 88 yeah Yep. Yeah. So 88, still a great score. Absolutely for, a movie worth seeing. People For a movie that I probably didn't want to see, I'd say, yeah. That's, you didn't want to. No, was, I just thought, like, based on the trailer alone, I thought it was just going to be so irreverent and silly yeah. that it's just yeah. not my speed. So. Sure. Sure. Plus, you just hate kid actors, but I get it. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, after seeing this, I was thinking, like, man, how did they find these kids? And it yeah. just so happened, like, we went to the store and bought something, and there was this little kid, maybe six years old seven years old in front of us in line and he had that that little kid actor energy like he yeah. was he was putting on a performance for the cashier and his mom and his mom just had no time for it she was busy She's like so, she yeah. oh and you can tell this kid just never stops he's oh. how many times yeah. have they, has she been approached by a dude with a card that's like you know i work at the agency you know uh that does you know acting lessons for kids right, and right got right. something here. well i mean the place the places where we shop is uh there's no talent agencies going out there and hitting up those people so <laughs> you know it my parents got hit up by a really? scout oh yeah they wanted me and my for brother. which one of your siblings well it was so they oh. wanted uh my older brother my sister and myself oh, okay so we went in and auditioned and it was in down. I'll never. It's downtown Sacramento, and it uh, they had just enormous photos of Elijah Wood, which which was like their claim to fame. He had come up through their classes and their agents and whatnot. And I remember thinking in my head, like, if I can nail this audition, I'm gonna be in the next Terminator movie. <laughs> I don't know why that was the. But like in my head, like Terminator Two was like the, you know, I was pretty young, but like Terminator Two was like the, I guess like the idea of like the big a big successful like the biggest oh, movie yeah. ever and so Absolutely. it was like i'm imagining the biggest version of this like if i do well and they take me in and they teach me how to do this i'm going to be in the next terminator movie and i think that would make sense like that would be good for me you know and that's I remember, a good path for me <laughs> that's so yeah. funny it was funny so they call uh, i remember they called back and and they were like so we're gonna want the old one the older one my brother um, and they like pitched them on these classes that were like insanely expensive, you know, of course. And it's, you know, it's all a scam. And so, um, I mean, Elijah Wood might disagree if he's even heard of this company. <laughs> um, he's so, never been to Sacramento. Are they, you kidding they, me? Yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't come up through. Yeah. Um, and so they, um, yeah, they, uh, my parents, uh, politely passed on it. Um, and I remember like asking them like, why, why are you letting Preston, go be a famous actor and they're like oh sweetheart he's not that's not where this leads <laughs> like you know Preston's great but like that this this company's not like a legit operation you know um, yeah and i remember like their attitude of it was like they thought it'd be a fun experience it'd be cool to do but like sure they weren't gonna it was never gonna pay for the classes and it was cool could because for an evening i thought maybe i might act with arnold um, <laughs> so the, the next part of this pod we're going to talk a24 films because A24 has been just absolutely on fire, releasing film after film after film. Uh, yeah, it's like 
so far this year, we have seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco, The Farewell, The Lighthouse, which you have both seen, and uh, to be released, uh, Uncut Gems, Safety Brothers, <laughs> with uh, Adam Sandler and KG, which I really can't wait for, <laughs> and Lakeith Stanfield. That's right. Um, you and I have been talking about doing a uh, podcast in A24 for a while. We've never really ranked films from a studio, but their output has just been so outstanding that it's 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 worth ranking these films. So we put together our top 10 films. Um, but before we go through that list, maybe talk about the so far this year. Well, actually, maybe they're on their list, so maybe we'll talk about it on the list. I, wa- I want to know what was your favorite thing you've seen from them recently, but if it's on the list, let's talk about it. Oh, later. I'll be hitting on it. Trust okay. me. Okay, okay. Well, we'll go through these quickly and then th- talk the most about the ones that are near the top, maybe uh, top three. Yeah, and I just think it's important to know, like, why, why do we particularly like A24? Yeah. Do you want to give a little background on A24? What's their deal? Uh, like so I don't – yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a A24 historian, but I do know that they make quality, independent, art house type of movies. And I yeah. think that's their specialty is their – it's small budget stuff. Um So they give control to these artists um, and they just let them do their thing, essentially, from what I understand. Um, And so they take huge chances. Like a lot of their movies are experimental. Um, A lot of their movies are weird. A lot of their movies aren't good because of that. Um, But when it hits, like their stuff is amazing. And it's the best for me. It's the best stuff that uh, is getting released right now. Um, I would love to know what their financials look like, though, because... There's a reason why uh, no one's making these types of movies. It's really just them now. Uh, yeah, they're right there. And well, I just I didn't look at uh, all their financial, but I do know they have 125 employees at two different locations. Volunteers, so their probably. business is booming. Oh, okay. <laughs> 125. 125 in L.A. and New York. I'm assuming are the two locations. Probably L.A. and New York. Um, probably not like so Fresno they're, and Minneapolis. Um, well, I mean, low, lower overhead, that's, that's for true. sure. So, yeah, they're not a huge company by any means. It's a, it's a smaller, truly independent. Um, they do both production and distribution. They all, they do a little bit of TV, but it's mostly film. And I just think that their approach is, is it's similar to the old 1990s uh, Miramax days, mm. where Miramax was putting out the best art house stuff by far. Great um, and I think right now A24 is doing the best art house stuff, period. Of anyone in, in mainstream Hollywood, so yeah, Miramax did Goodwill Hunting, which is you know probably they sure did. I put at the top of the list of their, of their films, uh, but uh, rest in peace, Miramax. They were swallowed up by what? Which company? Uh, Disney. Disney. That's right. But I wonder whatever happened to the head of Miramax. I wonder what yeah. he's up to these I don't days. Really remember, I'm not sure who. Uh, yeah, who, who if he ever. Made anything of himself beyond not, Miramax, not, but not too sure. There's a couple um, brothers. I remember them. One of them. One. Yeah. Two. Not sure. Yeah. Two brothers. Two of them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't, we'll have to Wikipedia that. But um, so looking at the list though of their films is actually staggering because, like you because, say, when they hit, they hit, and and they do have a yeah. lot of hits. They, and they haven't been doing it that long. Space. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. This, repeat that. Would you say? Oh, they haven't been doing it that long. So they've oh, only been they they've started only been releasing thirteen. Thirteen. That's it. Twenty thirteen. Wow. Yeah, so they're so, babies. Well, yeah. I want to hear your ten through six. Just kind of go blast. Sure thing. Just to rattle them off. Um, a, a number ten is I have a prayer before dawn. Ooh, um, I have the Florida Project. Mm-hmm. I have Ex Machina. Oh wow. Um, a ghost story. 
that's uh, seven. No, number six, I have Midsummer, oh. which came out this year. Yeah. Wow. So it's already it's already in my top ten. That's how good Midsummer. Better than is. Ex Machina. Better than Ex Machina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, you wouldn't know. You haven't seen Midsummer, so uh, I've seen Midsommar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, nah, it's a Scandinavian thing. I just won't. I, I want a movie that's a sure. little more diverse. But yeah, um, yeah. Number ten for me is The Disaster Artist. Uh, speaking of problematic movies, um, number nine, Eighth Grade, Bo Burnham. Great. Forgot movie. that that was an A twenty four film. Again, these few studios make that movie, but I'm so glad someone did. Uh, eight. Well, yeah, eight. which studios is gonna let Bo Burnham make that no, movie? No. Like, I mean, YouTube Studios. Like, I mean, no, yeah. I mean, that's that's it, right? I mean, he's not a theatrically released film. It's just a twenty-four. Um, my number eight film came out this year. It's The Farewell. Um, uh, number seven is Florida Project, like what you had, and then Good Time is my number six, and so that's my ten through six, um, with Lowry's film A Ghost Story at cracking the top five course it's a film i really 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 adore um uh what rounds rounds out your list as you go up to the, the top so, tier so number five is another movie that came out this year the lighthouse oh that's all right i enjoyed that five. so much that it's in my top five you yeah. love that ending yeah what i a, mean we got to do a full episode on it but yeah i love when people ask me if they should see that movie it's my favorite question to get. What do you say? Oh, uh, I don't hesitate. I tell them, yes, go. I say, I tell them how the rewatchability of that film is, is just through the roof. Um, honestly, I, I tell people that it's, um, I try to make a reference point, like a, a super, uh, experimental artistic film and ask them if they've seen it or if they liked it. Uh, and you know, based on their response, I will tell them to go, go see this or not. I, I'll just, I'll just tell them that it's great performances, but it is, um, pretty out there in its execution of its message and it requires its audience to do a little bit of work and if you're unwilling to do that work you might have a very bad time in this movie especially with the ending because when things get going they get going and boy do they go so yeah i think there's two types of people in this world either you're uh, a lighthouse type of person or a marvel universe type of person oh so So we know which person scorsese is Exactly that in the lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Marty are on that island together. We're lighthouse type of people. Well, our friend Beemore and Chadwin saw it, and they texted immediately in our text right afterwards, being like, "How could you let us see this film?" They didn't enjoy it at all. Nope. Um, it's it's very artistic. It's abstract, put it that way. So yeah, a perfect way to describe it. Yeah, it is abstract. Yeah. So that's your number five. Yeah, my number five. Yeah. Um, number four, I have another movie that I saw this year. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Also my number four. Oh, beautiful film. So Amazing good. film. So, so, yeah. so good. The fact this is a directorial debut, uh, both for the actor and uh, this, you know, the, the writer and star, uh, is really something. But I, I just tell you what, I've said, we've talked about it on the pod before, but it's just, Bart, just flat out the best movie that's film, been filmed in or is about San Francisco. It's really something incredible. It's very personal. It's incredibly well acted. Uh, the score is stunning uh, but it's just really really good movie so yeah yeah go go check our archive we have a full episode on that one yeah and we loved it so so my three is ex machina so i was surprised you had it as low on your i just think ex machina is alex garland at his best oscar isaac donald gleason uh give me a good movie about ai and technology and you know uh 
you know, we had this figurehead CEO mm-hmm. that's brilliant and has his ego and is crazy and his bravado is what an awesome house is undoing and really cool pad. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. Um, not probably not a great hang. Um, <laughs> we learned from Donald's character. Not great. Um, but they do have good dance parties and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> good music. Uh, I really think it's a, it's yeah, it's just like a spectacular technical film. Um, I really, really love it. So that's, that cracks my top three. What's next? Great choice. So, uh, my top three, I have number at number three, I have the end of tour. Ooh. Yeah. Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel. Yeah. Jason Siegel, uh, playing David Foster Wallace. And, um, that movie, like it just completely surprised me. It's, it is so perfectly right up my alley. I mean, it's just, it's a movie about two guys going on essentially a road trip just just talking about life that's it that's all they do is they they just get philosophical with it and they kind of explore um what it means to be successful what it means to be a good human being what it means to be envious um and jealous and proud of your work and hate your work at the same time i think there's it's just really um two it's a, a series of deep conversations between two people uh two peers um and it's really fascinating to me. So I thought it was a great, great movie. Huge great. fan of it. Great. Um, well, my, my number two is your number one. So I will let you talk about it when you get there. So I'll okay. just jump to my number one, Lady Bird. Uh, should surprise no one that the greatest film about Sacramento, and also one of the few films about Sacramento, might be the only one, um, <laughs> is my favorite. No, I mean, this is obviously a highly lauded film. Uh, you know, it should have won Best Picture. Greta should have gotten Best Director. Saoirse Ronan should have won Best Actress. A lot of shit is in here. Uh, Tracy Letts, who I just saw this weekend in Ford vs. Ferrari, plays Henry Ford II. Um, he plays the the father. Also should have been nominated at least. Uh, this is really a special film for me. It's for me. It's at the very very top of the list. It was, there was no question what my number one was going to be. The question was everything else from two on down. It was going to be a real close race, but it wasn't close for number one. Uh, this film has aged incredibly well. As I revisit it, I feel like it's going to be timeless. Um, it's just something special that, that Greta has made, and it's made me all the more excited for her follow-up film that comes out later this year, Little Women, which so far the buzz has been very, very good. And so I really look forward to that. Uh, but she has made, in my opinion, A24's best. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to argue. It, I didn't put it on my list just because I wanted to let you sh- shine with that. Well, I was going to lob that one up to you. Yeah, you did. So. Lob and spike, perfect. Set spike. Uh, <laughs> so I have number two, uh, Good Time, which you referenced, and yeah. I just absolutely love that. Safty Brothers, I think it's, again, it's right perfectly square yeah, up my alley. That, I didn't um, rank it for the same reason. I knew that was going to yeah. be high on your list. I thought it was going to be either yeah. one or two, and so I just didn't even yeah. put it on mine. It would be, though, on my list. It's so good. It's it's, it's perfect. And it, to me, that's like that's the closest thing to modern Scorsese we have. Um, this is that movie, like old school classic Scorsese. Um, and I just absolutely adore that movie. Um, and then number one for me is First Reformed. Yeah. yeah. That's just an absolutely incredible film. I mean, from the performances to uh, the topics that are um, approached and discussed and um, the resolution and the non-resolution. Uh, just everything idea. about. Th- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Just the topic itself. And, oh, man, it's just a, it's just a fascinating um, deep, deep movie that uh, it leaves you thinking for a long time after seeing it. So I absolutely love First Reform. Yeah. And I think it's the best thing that A24 has done 
yeah. or they've been well, associated with. So. Speaking to its greatness, before we started recording the pod, you had made a, a reference to that the ending, there's an, you know the interpretation of the ending uh, just being really dark, that it's just probably too dark for people. And it's it's fascinating to me because I my interpretation of the ending is quite a bit different. And, uh, you know, how intentional he was about the way it was, going, was meant to be interpreted, uh, I, you know, is open for debate. But the fact that I think you could reasonably read into this film uh, in two, no, I wouldn't say polar opposites, but two definitely different direction type of readings and be nearly equally as valid. I think that there's great arguments to be made um, about what exactly is happening there. And both of them are so fascinating, both the dark version and the less dark version. Yes. Uh, and I love a story that allows you to really think through and chew on it and consider it. And um, what, how, again, how much he meant for that to be that way. You know, certainly there was a little bit of that, but I just think it's one of those endings that I think is, it's, it's really telling when I talk to people and, and I hear how, what they think and how certain they are that, that, oh, this is what that means, you know, because there's a lot of different answers. And um, I, I, I think it's great. I think the, the discussion around that film is really fun. Yeah, I think that is the mark of a true piece of art when when cinema transcends to art. Yeah. Um, it's that that is that's it when you can interpret things that well, just like a, a you know a painting like you. Oh yeah. It, it, at face value, it's one thing, but once you sit there and dwell on it, and you can interpret and and see what you want to see, that I mean, that's the, the essence of art, right? So, yeah, I think uh, first reform is unquestionably a piece of art, and it's my favorite movie of probably the past five or six years. Wow. So yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I think, um, man, I, I want to go like watch it right now after this. So Great. I might just do that. Yeah. You're talking me into it too. I'm going to do a double feature <laughs> here. Um, well, great. Uh, anything else on a 24? Oh, I just want to mention that like everything that we've talked about, all these movies are available oh, yeah. on streaming. So they're either on prime, Amazon prime or Netflix. The only ones that are not is like the lighthouse is still in theaters and maybe um, the farewell is still in theaters, but literally everything else is available online. Like that's one of the great things about um, A24 is their stuff is accessible, like extremely accessible. Right. So, yeah. Um, well, I'm going to close on a couple of comments uh, about Jojo Rabbit to go back to real quick. People had commented on the feed and we tra- Tracy Mangum in here just saying, uh, yeah, it's his favorite so far this year. It's his favorite film. Of the Good year. call, Tracy. Longer comment from Rhett. Um, and I don't, all, not all of it will appear on the screen, but it says, uh, I'm, let's see, jo- JoJo may be my favorite movie of the year. It takes a very touchy subject, and I think it handles it beautifully. Has great dark comedy, but doesn't go too far. ScarJo's performance may be one of the best I've seen. She did great, and the two child actors were phenomenal. It was a roller coaster of emotion, and I loved every minute of it. Every minute, Rat? Did you love every minute? Sounds like you did. There may there's uh, there's a minute in there that you maybe shouldn't have loved, <laughs> been horrified by maybe, but not loved. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I know what he means by this. Uh, well, great. I mean, the, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of positivity. When he says that the two child actors were phenomenal, assuming Thomas and Mackenzie and, and Roman That's Roman Griffin the ex- third. That's um, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. But uh, I, I I love uh, similar to the ending of First Reformed. I love the there's an interpretation where he actually means Archie or you know, the Yorkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yorkie and Roman. Because uh, I don't want to leave him out. He was terrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, I, I'll say I saw it uh, with my mom and my, uh, my wife, Lindsay. My mom loved the movie. Lindsay, not as much. Um, she, she 
thought it was some of it was funny, but it ended up being too dark for her, actually, which is really interesting, mm-hmm. uh, b- it being a Taika film. But I mentioned the tonality, the, the tonal shift uh, not working for me, but it ended up really going, uh, at least for her, you know, wrong. And so it's interesting to see the, the varied opinion opinions on it. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a movie worthy of that discussion. So Yeah, it absolutely is. I think that's the, the ultimate culmination is, like, we. this is a movie that you should experience. And I think um, even if you don't love it, I think you're going to get something out of it. And um, it's a movie that everybody should watch. Great. So. All right, well, we're going to be back talking Parasite. So gonna, oh, yeah. really, people need to go see Parasite if it's near you. Um, we got a, a slate of films coming up. We got uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, or A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I don't remember what. There's too many Fred Rogers movies. Um, yeah. One of them was the documentary from uh, Morgan Neville, but this is the one with Tom Hanks. It's not a documentary. Uh, comes out this week. I know Aaron's going to be there opening night. I, uh, I'm out on Tom okay. Hanks. Sorry. So I'll be reviewing that one by myself. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I do want to talk Ford first Ferrari uh, at some mm-hmm. point on a future pod. Um, but uh, yeah. I, so Parasite's going to be next. Um, the movie Waves is coming oh, out. That's another A24. Talking Waves for sure. Yeah. 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 Waves, waves looks like it's it going to be something special. Yeah, no, it really looks promising. So great. We're looking forward to that. Aaron, thanks for joining Lots me. Lots of good stuff. And Friday uh, Night Mando. That's Oh, we'll be back. That's gonna be a regular feature. Tradition. Mando episode three. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Um, can't wait to see where they're going with it. Yeah. I, a lot of people I'm talking to have enjoyed episode two even more than episode one, and it'd be great if they continue that trajectory and just keep getting better. So I have faith. Friday night. Peace. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts. 